Before we start this episode, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who has supported the podcast. Whether you listen to one episode or multiple, I appreciate all the support. Just to let you know, Season 2 will run to the end of May and will go on a temporary pause. I will be starting a new podcast with UltiWorld called Hucking A with my co-host Danny Proby. We will be doing a coast-to-coast guide to everything Canadian Ultimate from the history to feature stories, interviews, and tournament coverage. So if you want to follow along with that, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Hucking underscore A. I would love for you to check out the new podcast. And once again, thank you for your support and hope you enjoy this episode. You're listening to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Away From Keyboard. AFK is a lifestyle brand that believes in reconnecting with humanity and our planet. Whether you're tossing a disc out on the weekends or hanging out by a campfire, they're dedicated to getting you to explore and grow in your own backyard. Join the adventure and check out their website at awayfromkeyboard.co and at get underscore AFK on Instagram. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Ella Hansen. Ella's an ultimate player and professional disc golfer who has played for the University of Oregon Fugue, Portland Schwa, and two Team USA U24 women's teams. She played on Fugue from 2015 to 2019 and was a captain from 2017 to 2019. With Fugue, she won a championship in 2015, finished third in 2016, and fifth in 2017 and 2018, making nationals in every year of her college career. With Portland Schwa, a women's club team, Ella helped the team finish third at the 2019 USA Ultimate National Championships, their best ever finish at a national championship, and she has made the national championships in every year that she's played club. With Team USA, she has won two gold medals with the U24 women's team in 2018 in Australia and 2019 in Germany. Ella has become a professional disc golfer and has secured a sponsorship with Discmania. Ella currently lives in Eugene, Oregon. Here is my interview with Ella Hansen. So I'm here with Ella Hansen, known in the ultimate world as One Throw Ella and Maybe, as well in the disc golf world, if you become known as One Throw Ella and just hitting aces non-stop on the course, that's pretty sweet too. So Ella, coming to us all the way from Eugene, Oregon. Ella, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk. You know, we talk a lot Ultimate on the podcast, but today we're going to mix it up, talk some Ultimate and some disc golf. But first, we'll start off with your Ultimate career. How did you get started in the sport? What got you into playing this uh, game we call Ultimate here? I joined my middle school ultimate team about halfway through their season. Um, I'm, I'm fr- I grew up in Seattle, so there's a big youth ultimate scene there. And uh, the beginning of sixth grade, I was like, oh, no, ultimate's a dumb sport. Why are you throwing frisbees around? I was all about baseball. I was playing baseball. My friends were playing ultimate. I would play with them at lunch. And then one game, they, they needed extra players. They knew I was athletic. They knew I could sort of throw a frisbee already. So... I joined them for one game, and I was hooked, and then I kind of joined the team for the rest of the year. Started playing for the rest of that time in middle school, went to high school, kept playing, and, you know, it was all all going on from there. Yeah, and you played some uh, YCCs, for those who don't know in the audience, uh, that's the Youth Club Championship, so pretty much the highest level of Youth Ultimate, would you say, Ella, in the United States, right? That's like the highest level you can play? Absolutely. It was super fun. We had a little bit of a streak going. So the uh, Seattle women's team or girls teams, I guess, had 
won the tournament every single year of existence that I uh, up until when I played and so we kind of had that pressure on us and we managed to managed to keep it going but it was a little stressful could imagine right and how did you get even involved in the YCC scene like did someone recruit you or you kind of just knew about it from your high school team as well like what was that like kind of uh getting you started into like that elite level club competition yeah, I was really lucky uh, in high school. My freshman year, we were coached by Miranda Roth Knowles, who is a legend, an ultimate legend. Uh, she played for Riot and a bunch of other teams. And so I kind of got a sense of what like the club or the higher level uh, youth ultimate was then. And then after Miranda actually moved and Alyssa Weatherford was our coach, um, also from Riot, and Another so, legend. <laughs> You're just getting legend <laughs> coaches right there. Yeah, so she kind of introduced me a little bit to that club scene and to the YCC scene, and she ended up actually coaching me on Fries, which was the youth club team there, as well as uh, the YCC teams. That's sweet. And so you have success at the YCC level there, and universities come and call and right like it's it's college time i guess for uh for your age group there so you decide to attend the university of oregon play for a really prestigious team in fugue did you have other colleges you were considering or were you focused strictly on oregon or what was that recruitment process like for you there were definitely a few i mean pretty much all of the colleges i applied to had a decent ultimate team at the time i wanted to do physical therapy so i was looking for colleges with uh, programs like that and Ultimate. Yeah, I ended up going to Oregon. It wasn't really my top choice at the time. It was like my second choice, but my top choice, I, I'm glad I didn't go there. It would have been rough. <laughs> it was like an accelerated physical therapy program, and I probably wouldn't have even really been able to play Ultimate that much. So that's a good thing. But yeah, I definitely was thinking about Ultimate. Bailey Zonizer was one of my assistant coaches my senior year of high school, and she went to Oregon. Um, and she also went to my high school. So uh, she kind of prodded me a little bit in that direction or just encouraged me. And yeah, that's kind of kind of what happened. It was just like, oh, I guess I'm going to Oregon. I guess I'm going to try to go play for Fugan. I mean, they had taken second the year before, so I knew that they were good. And I, I knew it wasn't a guarantee that I was going to make the team for sure. Do they have a B team as well? Like they have a development program there or no? There was a little bit my freshman year, but it's always kind of been a struggle. We've put in a lot of effort trying to get a B team going there, but it's never really caught on, unfortunately. So it's kind of going to be all or nothing for me. Yeah. So, you know, you step on foot onto campus there in Eugene and uh, you're playing on this uh, high level team. And Ella, your first year, success comes knocking at your door and you win the title. So what was that like winning the championship in your first year of college? It was really cool to see how that kind of a system can work and work really well. I mean, you know, every team has their ups and downs throughout the season. We had, I think, one loss in the regular season to University of British Columbia at Northwest Challenge. And we had won the rest of those tournaments that year and the rest of all of our games, which was pretty fun. It was a fun season and coming into nationals felt good. We had a game plan we knew that if we executed, we could win the national championship, and, and we executed. And we had some really tough games, some really tough opponents, but it was really an awesome experience. And having Lou Burris only coached me for that one year, but he is an incredible coach, and having to work with him and see how he worked, you know, helped me as a captain later, helped me as a coach later, and he's a great guy. For sure. Uh, I remember reading a lot of his blog posts there on Sky Magazine. He just had a lot of tips and stuff. So big legend there. And so on that championship team, did you have a big role or, or you're a freshman there? So, you know, some, some teams rely a lot on freshmen, but some don't. So Fugue being an established program, they might not necessarily need to rely on their freshmen. So did you have a big role in that team or what was that like? I definitely didn't have a big role. I mean, we had a lot of lot of star power on that team, but I played some. Um, so I, I made a little bit of an impact. I had some assists in the semis. I don't know about finals, but, you know, I was there. I was doing the work. It was actually kind of funny. The couple weekends before we went to nationals, or maybe it was the week before. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Lou had a, a conversation with me where he asked me to go talk to last year's rookies to sort of 
ask them what it's like to be at nationals, what the vibe is there, because he felt like the year before or maybe in a couple years prior, his rookies had like taken some time to get acquainted to the nationals lifestyle or play style, whatever intensity. And he wanted me to try to get ahead of that. And I think I did a little bit. I don't know. You know, it's nationals. It's a new experience. And I think I did pretty well for for being a, a lowly freshman, but it was really fun. And then uh, 2016, you're you're playing uh, with Fugue, obviously, but is that's also the time you enter into the women's club scene as well. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a stressful spring season for me. I mean, just having to have Fugue practice and then, you know, we would practice at 6 a.m. on Saturday and then drive up to Portland and have two practices Saturday evening and Sunday morning during that that crossover between the club season and the end of the college season. So it was a bit intense, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And were you one of the only, I assume there, there'd be multiple players, maybe even a whole line of players that are playing on Fugue and also playing on Schwa, right? So I guess that makes it a little bit easier for bonding. Like if there's a few of you making the trek up together. There had been like quite a few the couple years before I played. My first year, there was only one other, my teammate Lillian Weaver, and we were both playing Schwa. But there were like a whole slew of Oregon alumni on the team. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's kind of like a pipeline program. And so, you know, I just we just talked about your first national championship as a college player. And then 2016, uh, Schwa being very successful also plays in the club championship. So what was it like playing in the club championships? You had just played, I guess, your uh, first two college championships. And now you're playing with... Uh, the adult women's division, right? Players I've been playing for many years, more than players in college. So what was that like? It was a little intimidating for sure. That tournament was super windy and cold and wet-ish and just, you know, it was in Illinois and... Oh, Rockford, Rockford. (laughs) Yeah, it was in Rockford. You know, I was lucky to have some of my good friends and teammates like Jesse Schaffner and Alex Odie and Beth Kaler. Um, who had actually played for Schwab before, but they had kind of branched out, joined a few other club teams. So it felt nice to actually have sort of friends and, and whatnot on other teams. It it felt a little less scary going into that tournament, but it was definitely like the style of play was pretty different. You know, we played Fury, I think, in pool play and like a super windy game and a game like that at college nationals would just kind of be like a huck fest for sure. And I got to see Fury actually run offense going into the wind and like successfully score. And I was like, oh, like, that's how you do that. I get it. I get it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely learned some things. So what did you bring back to your college team there as you now have some club experience and now you're a college captain? Yeah, I think it definitely helped me think about the game a little more, more of the strategic side. And, you know, I've always been interested in in the strategy. Fugue has a, a strategy committee. Um, that I wasn't a part of my freshman year, but, you know, I was, a, I was a little rookie. I didn't know what I was doing, really. Um, and so it definitely helped me to, like, think about strategy because we ended up actually kind of running a bit of a different system. So Schwa started running in 2016 kind of a flowy offense, so not really based in a horizontal or vertical stack um, and has been running it, you know, through nationals 2019 we kind of started adopting that into fugue too for the 2017 season and i think that it, it, it just really helped open up my mind to more of the strategies of like what can you even do on an ultimate field and ella would you say that's common for club teams to have these new innovative strategies that then get filtered into like a college team that's sort of like a pipeline like kind of related is that something you see in like other programs you think at all i'm not sure i mean we had one of our schwa captains was also the feud coach, Catherine Weatherhead, Katie Weatherhead, also known as Nidge. So we kind of had that connection that led to us running that kind of an offense. I don't think it is as much. I mean, you know, schwa is also a little unique in terms of having that flow offense. You know, most club teams will run both or one of horizontal or vertical stack. But I think it probably does happen a lot with defenses like zone D's teams that like to run really poachy stuff definitely like can kind of cross over between between teams yeah and uh as I mentioned there at the top there Ella you know the nickname is one throw Ella so I'm dying to know like 
first of all, when did that nickname come about? And like, who gave it to you? And like, what's the whole story behind it? Because, you know, we like to hear stories about club teams and things like that, club team names. But now we got a nickname that we got to hear the story about. Well, I don't think it's quite as exciting as you think, but um, I think it was Keith Rayner from Ulti World was commentating one of my games and just like decided to bust it out. And yeah, he wanted that to be <laughs> be the nickname and it, it stuck. So yeah, it's, it's a good one. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, was it because you were just like throwing dimes from the backfield, like just like center pass and then it's just a huck that you were just chucking into the end zone there? Is that That's probably how it started, right? Yeah, I think that's the idea, or just, you know, picking it up on D and, and scoring, hopefully. <laughs> you just mentioned D, so were you mainly a D-line player, or, or what were you kind of uh, responsible for doing on Fugue there for the last uh, couple years of your career? I definitely trended towards the D-line. You know, I, I would play O-line and stuff. It's college, you know. We we didn't always have the biggest lines, and we got a crossover at some point, but... In club as well, and like on the world teams and stuff, I've generally played D-line. I'm a shooter, <laughs> so having that many turnovers on your O-line is not always the best, but I always, I always try to rein it in playing O. Yeah, maybe, you know, you have to switch on, like, you have to switch on the mindset, right? It's like you're on D, you can just, like, pick it up and just, like, launch it, but then on O, you can't really do that or else... Uh your team might be in trouble there. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And so can you kind of summarize your... Uh, We've talked a lot about your feud career, so can you kind of just summarize what that meant to you and for your career in Ultimate and, and even just moving forward as a person? Yeah, I mean, I definitely would not be the, the Ultimate player or the person that I am without Fugue, and I think a lot of the things we talk about as a team were really influential on, on my life and how I treat others and how I interact with people and how we, we have our our philosophy of clown tent, which... It means sort of different things, or it's interpreted in different ways for different people, but to me it kind of means trusting your teammates that they're doing their best and that they're working hard for the team, even if it doesn't look the same as what your hard work looks like, or if it's opposite of what your hard work looks like. You know, that's it's important to trust your teammates and to, you know, understand that people have differences in the way that they do certain things. Um, so, like, that value obviously is is a good thing to have in life as well especially with you know working in teams for work or whatever you're doing and then obviously like as an ultimate player Fugue kind of made me I think that yeah like I said before having Lou as a coach um, and then having the other coaches I had after that I think really helped develop me as a player and just like get me into a position where I feel like I can be really successful on the ultimate field whenever I want to I guess or not whenever I want to but you know Knowing, knowing how I can be successful. Ella, with, uh, you know, you're talking about success, so we got to talk about 2019. I know for many in the audience and, and for yourself, it probably seems like ages ago, right, that, that you played at a, the club championships, right, in 2019. So big upset happens. We hear Sixers have a big upset, but then you also have a big upset in that you take out number two seed Molly Brown. And I'm pretty sure, Ella, if I'm not mistaken, there were some former Fugue players on that Molly Brown team, namely Jesse Schaffner. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, that is correct. So what was it like taking out Molly Brown? You know, they were favored to, to me in the finals, obviously, as a number two seed and potentially win a championship. So you take them out in the quarterfinals a lot earlier than many people expected them to finish. So what did the team do specifically to help put yourselves over the top and, and lead yourself to the best finish you ever had at a national championship? We had kind of been grinding for a few years, and we had often felt like we weren't really playing up to our potential, you know, at nationals, in certain games, whatever. And so kind of going into nationals, you know, that season we had done a lot of mental toughness work, mental resiliency, and we had kind of come up with mantras of <laughs> how we wanted to, to think when we were in stressful situations. And, you know, we just had the hunger as a team. We felt like finally like we kind of had the opportunity to show the world what we were made of and you know we had a bit of an up and down regular season but we managed to yeah kind of conglomerate it all together and you know one of the things we actually did is throughout the season we had been running open lines so not completely open but like pretty open and 
we had a meeting, I think it was after our the first day of nationals, and we had kind of struggled the first day in pool play. You know, we had made it out, but we had had some up and down games, and our captains proposed to not run open lines, to close up the lines a little bit more for the next couple of days. And they made it a thing that that had been a norm for our season. If not everyone on the team agreed to it, we weren't going to do it. But everyone agreed, closed up the lines a little more, and we just started to like really flow. We had a lot of really good chemistry. And yeah, it just kind of showed like, oh yeah, like all this work. We kind of have to make some adjustments, but it's worth it. And then that Molly Brown game itself, you know, it was really up and down. You know, we, it's not captured on video, unfortunately, but uh, I had... I was going to say, I hope it's on video so we can see the epic, like, final point. Well, the the game itself, the game itself is on video, but I threw the first pull and Molly Brown dropped it and we threw one pass and, and got a first break of the game. But the, the pull is not captured on video, unfortunately, <laughs> but the rest of the game is... We, we scored three breaks to start, and then Molly Brown came back and I think <clears throat> tied it at three, and so it kind of just ended up being this like back and forth weird game. We had like a three-point lead going into halftime, and then they managed to tie it up. I think they took the lead at some point, and then it just went to universe, and um, we turned it over, then they turned it over, and then just got it right into the end zone, and, and we won that game, and it felt really good. It was awesome. I was so stoked. Um, and I think that Molly Brown, you know, neither of our teams really played our best game. You know, it was it was super up and down. And I think Molly Brown, well, I know for a fact, like they didn't even know that there was supposed to be a game after that, that the loser played a game after that. And so, and we had gone into that game, you know, we had never won that game. We had barely even been in that quarterfinal game. And so we knew, we had talked about it before the game. We lose this game, we have a game, you know, 20 minutes after or whatever on this field. And so Molly Brown didn't even consider that as a possibility of losing and having to play in this game. So I think it kind of shows a little bit, you know, it's not just them, but I think some of those that like top four, top five teams have that kind of an attitude where they expect their opponents to kind of roll over. Um, And most times their opponents do roll over, you know, they don't necessarily have that ability to to put on a good challenge but we certainly did that game and I think it really showed us our our potential for sure and it was it was really great yeah I mean 2019 your time with like kind of the top four top five women's teams it happened to two of them right because Riot ends up losing to Sixers in the same round so that's like pretty epic stuff and uh, one thing you talked about was the mental resilience. Um, you're not the first person on the podcast to talk about that. A lot of ultimate teams are focusing on that, and I think for good reason, because we see that in other sports, right, that talk about mental, not just mental health, but mental toughness and resilience. So if you're able to share without giving away the schwa secrets here, what are some of the mantras you would say, like, if you were down? Because as you talked about, during quarterfinals, you're not, your team's not used to that situation. And you you go up, and then you go down. So that's when your mental resilience and toughness is really challenged. What was the messaging on the sidelines, the huddles, to try to get yourselves back in and eventually win that game? I mean, I think we knew that, like, you know, we have to have our sidelines fully involved in in whoever's on the field, like, the whole time in order to have a good game, basically. And I think that going up 3-0 and then taking that lead into halftime, we hadn't really been in that situation before, and we kind of knew... We knew that we could do it. We could do it. And we didn't know if we were going to, but we really wanted to. And then in terms of like what we were talking about on the sidelines, we didn't really have something different for what to do if we were down because we were kind of, we're just, you know, we have this baseline that we want to play at. And so everything we want to do, we want to get to that baseline. And so we had done some work before earlier in the season coming up with like individual mantras kind of. So you would come up with a few words that you felt like would really get you into that baseline zone. Um, And so we didn't really explicitly talk about it on the sideline or anything, but I think that that's something, a tool that, you know, I used and I know a lot of my other teammates used to sort of stay in the zone. That leads me to another great question, which is what's the advice you would have for not just ultimate players, but coaches, captains listening in the audience that, want to strengthen their team's mental resilience, what's what's kind of the first step that they can take to help develop that for their team? I think that just like learning a little bit more about it, you know, so I've actually been doing some 
mental resiliency work with Tina Booth for disc golf right now because well disc golf's a whole other beast in terms of the mental aspect yeah we'll get we'll get to that (laughs) hitting trees but understanding like what it does to your body you know there's a physical response when you feel nervous or you feel stressed there's a physical response that makes it a lot harder to play ultimate so sort of understanding that and I think this is true for like a lot of things it's not about like not getting nervous. It's not about not doing something bad. It's not about not getting distracted or whatever. It's about how you can get back into the zone, how you can get back focused, how you can come back from whatever is kind of pulling you down, how you can how you can push yourself back up there. That makes sense. And yeah, you can look into that if you're interested in that topic. And so Ella, we're going to kind of round out this uh, journey segment with a chance for some shout outs. You gave a you know, a few shout outs earlier to Lou Burris, for example, and, and your high school coaches. So do you have anyone else that you want to give just a quick shout out to that's really helped you on your career there in Ultimate? I'm sure there are a lot of people that I could shout out. And if you're one of those people, I'm sorry that I can't think of it right now. <laughs> but I think that towards the later parts or more recent parts of my career, you know, I got to play Worlds and um, playing under Alex Snyder and Nancy Sun to absolute ultimate legends, it was a really awesome experience getting to pick their brains about strategy, about how teams work, because, you know, they've obviously had a lot of success on Fury, and Fury seems, at least to me, like a team that has a lot of, like, that mental resiliency. They have a lot of ability to kind of function at a high level a lot. And so being able to work with them was really an awesome experience, and just to learn from them, and they're both great people and great coaches yeah we didn't talk too much about your uh team usa experience but it was kind of interesting because it just how the calendar turned out in 2018 and 2019 playing for the same uh country obviously but like the same team u24s which usually it's every two years so what was that like um having to play just like back to back like was that uh tough for you especially balancing club and college season too right in terms of training and getting ready yeah, it was a little overwhelming. So I actually took that 2018 season off of club. Um, and I, I worked for Fulcrum Media and live streamed a lot of a lot of club games, uh, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, Luke Johnson, Luke Johnson, shout out. Yeah, shout out to Luke. He's awesome. So yeah, it, it definitely was intense. Before that point, going from 2016 through, I played college club, college club, world's college and then I was just like nah I need a break (laughs) so it was a it was a mental break it was a body break but yeah it definitely was had to be a little but pretty intentional about how I structured my time and figured everything out just to kind of stay at that level it's it's pretty challenging for sure yeah and and I'm sure you've seen this in your uh, city Ella and maybe for those listening in your city as well where you have kids who play and I can think of names off the top of my head in Toronto that have played juniors, played, you know, for their country, U20s, U24s, maybe semi-pro, club. And then they're just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, I've done this for five years and I'm 22 and I feel like I'm a lot older, right? Because I've just done so much. And so would you say that's kind of a thing as well that you were trying to avoid is that burnout aspect? Yeah, I mean, burnout is a big thing. You know, I have teammates who were top Callahan finishers are just really, you know, legends on the team who went on to stop playing ultimate completely and haven't really picked up a disc since then because that burnout is real. And, you know, I think that the, the pandemic also has kind of put Frisbee into perspective a little bit for some people of kind of understanding how much time, how much money that it, it draws from people, especially at the club level. Um, it's a lot. It's expensive. It's a lot of time spent, especially if you are not in the city that you're supposed to practice in. I commuted four hours each weekend. Two hours there, two hours back, and, you know, sleeping on some teammate's couch every weekend. You know, that can get really, really exhausting and a little taxing. But I think just, like, really understanding what the expectations are for the season, time frame, you know, how long the season's going to be, when you might have a break, how much it's going to cost all sorts of those things are really good for for starting a club season or any other ultimate commitment i think it's good to just have a sense of of what it's going to be yeah and uh you touched on a few things that will kind of segue us into daily life where we're going to focus a little bit more on your disc golf career so 
You mentioned you're filming for Fulcrum Media in 2018, and you're not just filming Ultimate, is that correct? You're also filming some disc golf. And so, I mean, you know, I read about this earlier, so that's why I'm able to ask this question. But so you're able to actually learn about disc golf through that experience working with Fulcrum Media. And so you see disc golf for the first time, you're filming it. What was that like? Were you like, man, this could be a sport I play because it's like similar to pulls and throwing bomb backhands from the backfield. Yeah, it was a new experience for sure. I got to film the 2018 United States Disc Golf Championships um, with Fulcrum. And yeah, it was a brand new experience. You know, there were a lot of fans there. There was a lot of, you know, not that that's not true in Ultimate, but there were a lot more fans than in Ultimate. There was a lot more on the line. There was a bit more of like a sense of professionalism, which like just kind of is the sport and also the the intensity of it. Yeah, you know, I I love to play disc golf on like the Oregon campus. There's a course that you play with ultimate discs and, you know, hit trees, light posts, all sorts of things. And I, I always love to play that. And so then I got to that tournament and I was like, at first, I thought that everyone's form looked really weird and a little dumb. They're, it's probably um, funny because they probably say the same about you with Ultimate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I was on this one hole that was hole 17. It was the most challenging hole, pretty much. It's like you kind of throw it down a tunnel towards a lake shore, and then there's the green is protected by hay bales. So you have to get over the hay bales, but not far enough that you go into the into the lake. I saw an ace on that hole, but I also saw people take like nines on that hole because they could, just couldn't land it in there. And I was like, oh, it doesn't look that hard. It's not that far. How hard could it be? So after the tournament, I went up to the tee and I like threw a few shots with the ultra star and just like completely missed every single one and I was like oh I I understand you know why this is challenging now I get it I get it okay (laughs) but it wasn't for like another year actually that I picked up disc golf when I was actually working on a video crew with Ulti World the Pan American Championships in Florida in 2019 that Ulti World crew Charlie Eisenhood and Daniel Prentice picked me up from the airport and they're like we're gonna play disc golf like you want to join us and I was like well my other option is to sit in the car so yes (laughs) They kind of gave you no choice, so. Yeah, exactly. But I, I used a couple of their discs, and then we ended up playing one other time that weekend, and I was like, oh, this is actually really fun. So then I started watching some YouTube com- content, disc golf, and I actually had a friend who was on the disc golf team in college. She had actually invited me to come play it their national championships, the college national championships, but I couldn't because I had an ultimate tournament that weekend, uh, like a year before then. And she put together some discs for me and I I bought them off of her. And that was, that's how I got started in it. But yeah, it was a little, a wild ride. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, we'll talk about it now. Uh, I mean, Ulti World had talked about this. Uh, You were featured there. uh, You and also Leah out of uh, Atlanta there. Both of you featured as, uh, ultimate players who played high level club and then now uh professional disc golf so for for those that don't know what is professional disc golf because as you mentioned it's more professional you know i don't know if it's required to wear the collar shirts you know when i played some amateur tournaments i wear the collar shirt kind of just <laughs> for aesthetics and for for kind of the jokes but what's the whole professional disc golf scene like as you played a few tournaments now in what's called the fpo which is like the female is, is it called female pro open is that correct or I think so, yeah. I think that's what it stands for. Totally different from Ultimate. It's really wildly different. Um, The community and just obviously the sport itself. But I've really enjoyed it so far. And technically anyone can be a professional, actually. Um, You just have to join that division. But once you're a professional, you can't play any amateur events. So I actually started as an amateur. I played one tournament in AM. And then the next tournament I wanted to go to, they had no amateur women, but there was somebody in professional women so I or there was two people so I was like well I guess I'll sign up for that tournament I ended up getting second and uh shot a really awesome first round and then I was like well I had the opportunity to either take money for that that win or to get it in script so it's basically like a gift card to some disc golf store and I was kind of thinking about it at first and then I was like well I'm not really interested. You know, I liked the the amateur people I played with, but I liked playing pro more. So I just took the money. And from that day on, I was a pro and I started playing in the pro division. 
you can play in a pro division. There's there's also like age protected divisions, so like over fifty, over forty, whatever, um, and then under for juniors, under eighteen, and and whatnot. But I think that you know that professionalism professionalism aspect depends on the tournament you're at. So there's a tiered system for disc golf, where there's like the lowest option is like a C tier that's sanctioned. So that's like I wouldn't necessarily equate it to like a party tournament, but it's more of like you know, one of those like club team round robins or whatever <laughs> at the beginning of the season. Well, I, hey, keep the comparisons coming because I think that will yeah, help people exactly. understand it. Because I, I know what you're talking about, but some people that aren't in disc golf might not know. So this is perfect. Keep it coming. So you got C tiers, B tiers, and then A tiers, which are like probably like regionals level tournaments. And then there's national tours and majors, which are like worlds, nationals, you know, those kind of things. But there's a bunch of them. So during the season, there's either a major, a pro tour, or a national tour any given weekend, um, and, and it travels around the country. So myself and Leah and Alyssa Weatherford uh, actually played in the Las Vegas Challenge, which was kind of the kickoff to the to the disc golf season in the end of February. And um, myself and Alyssa, and, and Leah's joining for a few tournaments, we're kind of going on the West Coast tour of all of the, or we're, we're playing in all the West Coast Pro Tour tournaments. So the, the Pro Tour is coming to the West Coast in a couple couple weekends, which I'm really excited about. Um, and I know Leah is playing in some other tournaments um, in, in her area, in some of the Pro Tour tournaments. You are required to wear a collared shirt, either a collared shirt. You can wear like a dry fitch kind of style shirt or like, you know, like an ultimate jersey. Well, it's got to have the collars on it. Yeah, you know, and I like the look. I'm I'm a person who I've always kind of liked like ritual and uniform. You know, I played baseball growing up and I'd love to just like put on my baseball uniform and like strut my stuff, look cool. So I don't mind the professional look of it. I know some Ultimate players think it looks silly, but it's basically just golf. You know, it's basically golf apparel, but you look a little, a little sillier, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, one of the other things too, as a as an ultimate player who's played some uh, amateur disc golf, is something known as like the courtesy fouls. Which, uh, if you're an ultimate and you get pumped up after a break and you spike the disc or you let out some expletives and you just get fired up with your team, well, Ella, you know you can't do that on the disc golf course. Like, you sure can't. You sure can't. You hit an ace and you just can't drop f bombs and like spike a bunch of disc in your bag. Like that's not allowed. So. Can you speak a little bit to how that's different as well? Yeah, totally. You know, I've I've been joking around with one of my uh, disc golf friends about trying to spike after I make a good putt or something, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> um, but that is something I definitely miss, spiking. Mm. Near and dear to my heart as, a, as an Oregonian. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely more of a golf style like courtesy uh, aspect and and again like it kind of depends on the level of play you're at whether you're at a C tier or an A tier or a national tour yeah you know I've, I've told some of my ultimate friends like you know I would love for you to come watch this tournament but like you can't heckle me you're not allowed to and they're like what how how am I supposed to watch if I can't heckle you <laughs> that's kind of a new thing for for a lot of ultimate players who are going into disc golf kind of you know, when you're out on your local course, whatever, whatever group you're in, you know, feel free to heckle, feel free to do whatever you want. And, you know, I, I'll take heckles all you want. But yeah, when you're out there at like the, the big pro tour tournaments, you know, you have to be quiet. You can't move when somebody's putting. You really have to be courteous. And that was something that I learned working the cameras because we have to be in their way, basically. We, we have to get our, our shots, but we also have to be courteous. And there were a couple times where I was out on the fairway, I was the catch cam, so the the players were throwing at me. And Paige Pierce like asked me to move a couple of times because I was in, in the way of her shot. <laughs> so it's a new thing. I would say some disc golf people are soft with how how particular they are about like I can't oh this this tree is like moving a little I I can't putt. I think that coming from Ultimate, I definitely can can tune out the distractions a little little easier <laughs> than some of my disc golf, my fellow disc golfers. Yeah, I mean, if you played any like college nationals, there are people blowing horns. And whereas in disc golf, like I learned that the hard way as well, even just playing casual rounds with someone. They're like, can you not talk when I'm throwing? So 
these are things you just don't know if, if you're not in the environment, right? It's kind of like its own culture, right? So lastly, about this part with disc golf, can you talk about the fact that you're now uh, with a company that is pretty well known in the disc golf scene? Uh, for those in Ultimate might not know, but uh, it's a company called Discmania. So what was that process like getting uh, involved with them? Yeah, so they actually had an open call for female applicants um, back in like November, December time. So I put in an application and sort of started having conversations with them. And, you know, before then I had kind of, I was kind of like looking at my trajectory and I was like, okay, like my, in terms of ranking. So the other thing about disc golf is that everyone gets a ranking. So it's, it's kind of like the same as in, in ultimate, you know, where you have your power rankings for the season or whoever gets a bid to nationals is based on rankings. And if you don't know, that's actually generated by like each team gets a number. And then based on that, you get placed, you know, one, two, three, four, five. So that number is kind of calculated in a similar way for disc golfers. And then that's your rating. So it's used for registration. It's used for like, they open registration to the top players first, usually, and then lower level players later on and, and whatnot. But yeah, I was kind of looking at how my rating was was going and I was like, oh, I'm like kind of getting into that level where I could I could kind of reach out for a sponsorship. Yeah, I'm really lucky in Eugene to have uh, Zoe and Dyke and Dustin Keegan, who are two disc golf pros who I, I've sort of become friends with and they've helped me out a lot. Dustin is sponsored by Dismania. So he sort of started getting me a bunch of discs to try out. And I, I had a few Dismania discs that I really liked, but I was throwing, you know, a mixed bag. And so he sort of started filling my bag up with Dismania, had some some talks and some negotiations with the folks at, at Dismania. And I actually had another contract offer from a different company, but... Hey, that's hey, that's a good problem to have, Ella. That's pretty sick. It was pretty sick, yeah. And so I just decided in the end that like Dismania was, was the right company for me. Their plastic is like second to none. They, the discs aren't incredible and they put together a nice nice support for me. So yeah, it's it's been awesome and I'm just really stoked to be on the team and and to see what my my teammates are doing. I'm really excited for this West Coast swing to show people what I'm made of. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to definitely uh, keep me posted on that and you know, I I don't throw a lot of Dismania, but I throw the the Dismania P2 putter. I know that's uh a disc that's highly coveted right now because I think yeah. they're they're going to stop making that one. So uh, I got a few of those kicking around. That seems to be a good disc, but uh, yeah, that's that's really cool, Ella, that you've you had these opportunities and uh, you went from an you know an innocent time, just filming, right, filming disc golf to becoming this disc golfer that you are now. And one thing you definitely noted is kind of the money aspect of disc golf. That's it's been talked about before on Ulti World and other platforms of what Ultimate can do to kind of help with that because. As you mentioned, you're able to go out and win some money, and and that money doesn't necessarily have to be this. That, that you could use that to you know pay off a mortgage or, or whatever you want to do with the money. So that's probably something that's pretty cool as well that you get to do in the pro division. Yeah, absolutely, and and that whole thing is kind of new. Like, you know, my mom was like, "Oh, you're gonna have to pay taxes," you know, on your on your winnings, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> Never had to deal with that in ultimate, you know. But yeah, it is cool, you know. Pretty much most of the local tournaments I've been going to, I've been able to at least win my entry fee back, if not more. And so that in itself is pretty sweet, you know, because ultimate tournaments, you know, you'll pay a lot of money and you don't get anything back. You know, you get fun. It's good. No hate to ultimate, but definitely is a nice aspect of disc golf to be able to actually make some money. And, and you know, I'm not really going into a tournament like expecting that, but it's nice to get a payout, you know? <laughs> I mean, eventually, like, we'll see what happens with Ultimate. I know uh, the Richmond Cup is something that I think is giving out some some mm -hmm. heftier prize money mm -hmm. uh, for Ultimate. And, and we'll see what happens with that. I think, you know, this is a whole other discussion about how tournament directors can help monetize what they do just by charging more and things like that. But that's a whole other discussion, Ella. And so we'll go into to the third segment here. So we've been doing some jumping around. We'll jump back into Ultimate and talk about your least favorite and favorite games of your career. As we talked about off air, it's not over. Like you're planning to play ultimate at some point, obviously when it returns. So in terms of this segment, do you want to start with your least favorite or your favorite game? I guess I'll start least favorite. Probably my least favorite game, although it was fun, was in 2016 at the Stanford Invite. 
It was a, a muddy day, it was cold, it was windy, and it wasn't too bad for like the first few games, but I think there were also 12 teams at that tournament, and so we had to play five pool play games and then go into a bracket, because there were two pools of six. So we were on our, I think it was our fourth fourth game of, of Saturday, we were playing UCLA, we were on like these really far backfields, like the furthest from the parking lot at the whole tournament, and it got really windy and i don't i honestly don't know if it was actually windy at the rest of the the field site or if it was just where we were because it certainly felt like that we kind of got into that game it, we knew it was really windy it was upwind downwind and you know our attitude going to that game was whoever gets a break wins so we were fighting really hard you know there's there's video of this game if you want to watch it fulcrum has it it was interesting, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, so so we went went in, we ended up getting a break, and then we broke back downwind. And so we were, like, feeling, you know, relatively comfortable. We had a halftime, and it was, like, kind of near the end of the game. We are like, all right, it's probably going to be, like, one or two more points. So we're going upwind on defense. UCLA is going downwind. And we start playing this, this last point. I was on the field. And this point kept going. They were, like... I don't even know. I think at least 50, probably more turnovers. And this point lasted, I I think it was bordering on, on 30 minutes. And this was like super windy, super wet. Like the disc barely got past midfield going upwind maybe once or twice. And it was just like, it was brutal. And the worst part was that it was so cold. Everyone was so tired from the end of the day. Like my teammates were kind of delirious on the sideline and we're just laughing at the people on the field the whole time just like laughing at us like (laughs) and we were just like running around so exhausted like what the heck you guys like you're just you're just over there laughing while we're trying to like score this freaking point because like the horn had gone off like at least 20 to 30 minutes before and so we knew it was the last point we were up like 8-5 or something and so we knew that if they scored, it would be fine. But we were fighting tooth and nail for that point, And, like, it was just brutal. And they ended up scoring. UCLA ended up scoring. And by the time our game was over, we, like, looked around and everyone had left. It wasn't just that all the other games were over. Like, everyone else had left the field. We were the only two teams actually at the field anymore. And it was just, like, it was, it was brutal. <laughs> but it was a fun memory. Yeah, I mean, something you can talk about with your few teammates. I mean, that's always something that's interested me about Ultimate with the hard cap is this, like, necessity to play out a final point when the result's already been won, especially in a situation like you just mentioned. It'd probably just be better to to fold and, and concede the game and just say the game's over because it's like you have a risk of injury, fatigue, and all those things. So that's a whole other uh, debate in and of itself. But uh, what about your favorite game, Ella? Is it the game that we've already talked about, or is it something else? I think that that game is probably my favorite. I think just the way that we managed to really put together our team that day. You know, we had our pre-quarterfinal game against Traffic, and we were, like, feeling really good, feeling... It, it was kind of a good warm-up game for our game against Molly Brown, and just, like, we were staying in this really cool Airbnb. We had, like, a rooftop deck, and I remember just waking up really early that morning and, like... People were having their coffee out on the deck and looking at the ocean. And it was just, it was a good, a good weekend. And that, that game was just really fun and really, really competitive, obviously. And it felt kind of good. It felt good to like kind of spite one of those teams, you know, that had been uh, at the top of the game for so long. It's good to be the underdog in some ways to, to take them out. So definitely appreciate that story. So Ella, we're going to wrap this up with the rapid fire segment. We'll start off, uh, you know, with some ultimate questions and we'll venture off into other uh, territories here. So one throw, Ella, I got to ask you, is your favorite throw your flick or backhand? Ultimate, definitely flick. Disc golf, we're working on the flick. (laughs) Forehand, they call it, right? The (laughs) sidearm. Yeah, forehand or sidearm. It's weird. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah. What about uh, hammer or scoomer? Oh, hammer for sure. And would you rather drop a pull or drop a catch in the end zone? Drop a catch in the end zone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've won a championship at Nationals, but let's just say you haven't. So you can win or, or we'll take this even with disc golf. You're playing, you know, the world championships or whatever. And you can only win either one first place finish or gold medal 
or five silver medals, but you never make, if you win the gold medal, you never make another final again, or like a final card or whatever, if you want to look at disc golf. Probably second place. <laughs> I think I obviously want to win, but second place would be pretty sweet at, at five tournaments. Yeah, yeah. Especially for disc golf, for sure, because there's so much like competition. Yeah, exactly. Well, what about, uh, you probably talked about Ultimate with, you know, the people you're playing disc golf with that might not know about it. So uh, what do you think about the name Ultimate? Should it be renamed or should we just keep it? I think at this point, it's it's too far gone. I don't think that renaming it is really going to do much. I think it is kind of a weird name, but I don't know what the options are. Like people have thought about like Flatball, I guess. And I kind of like that name, but I don't know that, I don't know how much that'll catch on. <laughs> But if, if people wanted to rename it, I'd be down. I, I would be on board. For sure. What about should Ultimate have referees, like at Worlds and things like that? I personally really like the, the self-officiated aspect. I think that with good intentions from both teams that it it's the ideal. But I also think that they can be helpful. Well, observers, I've never actually played with referees, but observers can be really helpful for like time and and those sort of aspects for sort of managing the game that way especially with watchability as they say because uh you probably as you watch some club games you see uh it get or or college or wherever just gets a lot of hand with the calls especially on a universe point potentially yeah exactly and as someone who's represented team usa multiple times now ella should ultimate continue to pursue its place in the olympic games oh man i think that you know, from my heart, I love the Olympics. I think that I would love to play in the Olympics one day. And I think that that, that's a pretty cool thing. I also think that it's not the end all be all for ultimate. And I think that it's worth, you know, pursuing other, other options of growth as well. Yeah, you could do a probably a whole talk on that. It sounds like because you have some opinions about it. Certainly do. (laughs) What about some uh, non ultimate questions here? I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal, could be lobster, steak, whatever that looks like, maybe you're a vegetarian, veggie meal, whatever, with three people in the course of human history, they can be living or brought back from the dead. So you're going to have this meal with three people who you're going to have this epic, epic meal with. That's an interesting question. I guess I'm like kind of fascinated with famous old American people's like partners and, and wives and whatnot. So I guess for now, I'll say Martha Washington, who is George Washington's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, and then Martin Luther King Jr. Hey, that's that's an interesting mix. Never heard before on the podcast, so appreciate, you know, the different flavor, right? We like that. I want you to picture uh, in your backyard in Eugene, if you have one, you're going to put on the Ella Hansen concert, okay? You can pick any band or artist in the world. Uh, they can be broken up or brought back from the dead, etc., so you have to pick those three bands or artists and the order in which they play in this epic concert that you're hosting. Oh, wow. Well, right now I've been really into Dua Lipa, but I feel like that's not really, it's not like the all-time favorite, you know? Yeah, the tricky part is you're going to have to pick either, you know, your all-time faves or like kind of the current Ella faves. So one of my favorite artists of all time is a Swedish guy called, named Jens Lekman. So I probably would have him open. He's kind of like indie pop. And then probably would go like Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong, if that counts as one act together. And then like end it off with a bang. There's probably other people I would enjoy a little more, but since Otis Redding died young and I feel like he had a lot of a lot of good musical potential, I probably would go with Otis Redding. I feel like that would be pretty fun. Okay, sweet. I mean, I don't know. I know who Louis Armstrong is, but besides that, I'm not. I'm not in the know. So, I always like this segment because uh, you know I get to learn about some other music as well. So, yeah, appreciate you it's sharing all good, that. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Last question here. Uh, you can't choose ultimate as the answer. So you're gonna get all the talent in the world, Ella. So you could be, you know, you could be seven foot tall if you want. You could be five one, whatever you want, and any talent. But you got to pick a different sport to play. And I guess uh, you also can't pick disc golf now just because you're in it. So you have to pick a different sport and a different organization that potentially if it was a team like, you know, the NBA, you play for the Blazers or something or in the WNBA or or maybe you go individual sport, but not disc golf, of course, just because you already play it. I think more realistically, I probably would love to play for the Seattle Storm and the WNBA. Um, I grew up as a fan of them and 
I just, I just love them. Um, and then, you know, the more pie in the sky kind of one would probably be the Seattle Mariners baseball team. I, as a kid, I always, I would always dream of being the first female player in the, in the MLB. So that's probably my, my dream. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Seattle Mariners back in the day, like they had Ken Griffey Jr. He was, uh, pretty good. And Jay Buhner and a bunch of other players, uh, What's his name? Edgar Martinez, right? The DH. So, you know, I know my baseball. They were they were real good. Yeah, unfortunately, Ella, I hate to say this to you as a Seattle Mariners fan, but they haven't made the playoffs for a very long time. So They're terrible. Absolutely. You know, it's part of being a Mariners fan. And right now, they have started off the season pretty well. Um, and by pretty well, I mean very well. Um, and this is kind of a theme for the Mariners. They like to start off, get your hopes up, and then do terrible for the rest of the season. So you just are sad as a Mariners fan. And that's that's the life cycle of being a Mariners fan, but you know I'll always be a Mariners fan, and I can't I can't stop myself, unfortunately. And it's you know you got to get your hopes up every season. You know, right now I'm I'm predicting they're gonna go they're gonna go all the way to the World Series, and you no know, deep down in the heart that's never gonna happen, and they're definitely gonna be the worst team in the in the league, and and just be terrible. But you got to have your hopes up at some point. For sure. And Ella, I will say that I have Ty France, second baseman of the Mariners, on my fantasy baseball team, and he's been doing pretty well. So, yes. Shout out to Ty France. I I just found out that he went to the same high school that my partner did. So, that's kind of (laughs) sick. There you go. In Seattle? Uh, In Southern California. Oh, okay. That's sweet. It's always fun to have those uh, connections, right? So, Ella, that actually ends our episode for today. Appreciate you coming in virtually, of course, all the way from Eugene, Oregon. Uh, Ella, if people want to find out more about what you did and or do in Ultimate and Disc Golf, where can they find you online social media-wise? And then maybe some uh, games that you've been a part of, or I'm not sure if there's any Disc Golf tournaments that you've been in that are filmed, but whatever you have in terms of plugging that, why don't you do that now, and I'll make sure to get that in the show description. So if you want to check that out, you can do so. Awesome. You can follow me on Instagram at OneThrowElla. That's probably the best place to, to keep up with my disc golf life. You can follow me on Twitter at Bagel Powered. That's a little more on the political and, and fun and ultimate side. I like the Bagel Powered, though. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Man, for ultimate games, yeah, you can watch Oregon Fugue or Portland Schwa. There's a lot of games on YouTube. Hallie's dad, the legend, has filmed a lot of us. Um, and so that, yeah, that Molly Brown game is on YouTube. Hallie's dad filmed it. If you want to watch that UCLA uh, Oregon game from 2016, that's also on YouTube. You can look it up on uh, Fulcrum's Fulcrum's site, I think, or YouTube. I think they have like an Oregon playlist um, that you can find it in. And all of those videos in the Oregon playlist are awesome. Shout out to Luke Johnson. He's the best. And then for disc golf, yeah, I haven't been filmed yet, but I'm going to be on the feature card for the OTB Open, which is at the... When is it? It's the 14th through 16th of May. So that will be up on YouTube on an account called GK Pro. So if you, if you want to watch disc golf, you can watch me play. Hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll do well. I'm excited about it. Yeah, and uh, for those who never watched disc golf, it's going to be a whole new experience. Because, uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of downtime. There's a lot of discussion, right, from the commentators. It's just It's just a whole different production. So definitely recommend you check that out. So, uh, yeah, good luck with that, and I'm excited to see where your disc golf career takes you, Ella. We, of course, in the ultimate world, don't want to see you leave that, and we still want to see one throw Ella out here uh, throwing out some flicks and backhands from the end zone to the other end zone. So, Ella, keep doing what you're doing. It sounds like you're having a great time and uh, making the best of it amidst the pandemic, right? So, appreciate you coming in, of course, and uh, sharing of your journey there. Yeah, thanks, Theo. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview an ultimate legend in Robin Fennig. Some of the teams she has played for include Madison Heist, DC Scandal, Minneapolis Dragon Thrust, Yaka out of France, the Madison Radicals of the AUDL, the Atlanta Soul of the PUL, and Team USA. She was Ulti World's 2019 Club Female Player of the Year, 2018 Club Female Offensive Player of the Year, and a first-team all-club selection in 2018 and 2019. In this interview, Robin shares what led her to start Ultimate, and her experiences as an elite-level club player, and as the president of the USA Ultimate Board of Directors. 
As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports. And you can check out some commentating highlights on YouTube at Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.